Living Stones is a weekly conversation about living a truly Catholic life. Deacon Harold Burke Sivers and Ken Hellenius help you deepen your relationship with Christ and His Church, discussing practical ways to grow in faith, participate more fully in the liturgy, and practice charity towards all. Hello and welcome to Living Stones. I'm your co-host, Deacon Harold Burke Sivers, and joining me from the beautiful studios in South Bend, Indiana, is one of my closest and dearest friends and the man whose idea of tic-tac kidney was not accepted by the general public, Ken Hellenius. <laughs> Ken, how are you doing, my friend? I am well, thank you. Tic-tac kidney. <laughs> I mean, I got to confess, I have no idea even what you're talking about. Well, it became tic-tac-toe. You know, I guess they didn't like that, they didn't like that body part, you know? So. Oh, dear. Yeah. Um, that's a deep cut there, buddy. Oh, wow. Tic-tac kidney. Uh, I'm going to actually, next time I'm with my nieces and nephews, I'm going to invite them to play that's a again. dad joke, right? Kidney. Oh, it's totally a dad joke. Fantastic. <laughs> this is uh, maybe maybe we should be bringing, you know, Catholic dad joke of the week to the to the uh, program. <laughs> <laughs> oh, golly. Uh, how are you, friend? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Thank you. You know, uh, back on the road, traveling around again. Although, admittedly, my schedule is not as busy. Sure. This fall um, as it normally is, because uh, I usually book two years in advance. Right. And so two years ago at this time, no, there was no one booking anything new because of the pandemic. Right. No right. one was thinking two years from now. So, so I knew two years ago that I hit this time where, um, you know, there's a lot of uh, gaps in the schedule, which is fine. You know, I got sure. plenty of other things that I'm doing. Well, what do you and, get to uh, do when you're so, not, uh, when, when you're not out on the road, what are you working well, on? Do some more writing. Okay. Yeah. Do some more writing. You know, um, I have more time to edit the uh, the book on racism, so I'm I'm, I'm continuing to do that. I'm uh, getting ahead with my USCCB uh, video reflections. I'm getting all the uh, the scripts you know done with for those you know ahead of time. So I'm just making uh, more room for myself. I'm preparing for my Australian tour coming up in uh, October with Tim Staples. Um, Fun. We're gonna be yeah we're gonna be going out there together to Sydney and Melbourne. Uh, for a week. So I'm, I'm getting ready to get those talks prepared. I'm going to, I'm also teaching at a catechetical Institute on, on the sacrament. So I'm getting those classes done, you know, so I got, I got plenty, I got plenty. Yeah. I'm always, <laughs> always have stuff to do. So, yeah. And I think it must be picking up for you as well. Well, uh, they are. Yeah. We actually just had our staff meeting today here at the De Nicholas center at Notre Dame. And, uh, just looking at the array of events, uh, we're actually going to have the archbishop of Sydney himself, archbishop Anthony oh. Fisher, uh, will be swinging through campus, uh, at the end of, I think it's at the end of October. We're going to have a, an event with him. We of course have our annual fall conference coming up, uh, in November. And this year we're, the topic is on creation and we received more than 300 paper submissions to the conference and we can Whoa. really only take about a hundred and about 115. So it was a, an embarrassment of riches, to be honest, so many wonderful papers. And of course we can't accept everybody just because of the, uh, the limitations of space and time. Uh, so that was a, that, that will be a wonderful, fantastic conference. So many of our friends come from around the world to join us for 
for the fall conference last year, our first year back in person after the uh, kind of COVID stuff, we had more than a thousand people come and join us at the conference. And, and uh, that's just, it's so awesome because we see people from literally around the world. So it's a, it's a highlight of the year for us. And it's the largest academic conference that takes place annually on campus. So it's a it's a big production. And our tiny little team here at the DeNicola Center is uh, works with our student volunteers and and with, uh, you know, so many friends to bring on this wonderful uh, three day conference for the uh, the Notre Dame Fall Conference. So that's what we're really working towards right now. Uh, In the meantime, of course, we have Uh, all sorts of academic lectures and presentations and book events and things like that that we host for our students and for the community, all in service to the mission that we we have here at the DeNicola Center to share the richness of the Catholic moral and intellectual tradition both here on campus at Notre Dame and as Notre Dame in the public square. So it's a lot of fun. Oh, that's great. That sounds like very rewarding work. It is. Uh, it truly is. In. Yeah. But I'm, I'm not going to lie and, to you. And rem- the highlight and of my week is, is to actually spend time with you, Deacon. Uh, I mean, this is <laughs> this is for me the joy. But no, it's great. I, I love getting to do what what uh, what I do here at Notre Dame. Yeah. And remind the listeners what your job is there for the D. Nicholas Center. So my job is to talk about it. Right. So I'm the communication specialist. So I tell people that my job is to talk about the awesome things that my colleagues do and then to get bottoms into seats. So I, uh, I host our podcast. I update the website. I work uh, with our kind of advertising and I work with media to um, interview like our director, uh, Professor Carter Sneed and, and the other people that work here. So I I handle all aspects of communications. I send thank you letters to the uh, generous benefactors and friends who uh, support our work. So all kind of aspects of of the uh, communications job. I'm a one-man communications band, I guess. All right. Fantastic. I'm like that guy that you see, you know, as the drum and the trumpet and the and the cymbals on my feet, and he like does the one-man <laughs> uh, band kind of in in medieval times. That's that's me. So <laughs> that's awesome. And I'm terrible at it. Oh, at, great. Uh, yeah. music, so. No, it's fun. Well, Deacon, we've been chatting about the Holy Spirit these last number of weeks. And uh, we, over the last few weeks particularly, we explored how the Holy Spirit is described in the Creed. And then we began to talk a little bit about the Holy Spirit and prayer. And uh, now it's time that we talk about the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's special relationship with the greatest of all women with the Blessed Mother Mary. And that's where we're going to pick up our conversation tonight. Yes. And uh, the Catechism says that beginning with Mary's unique cooperation and working with the Holy Spirit, the churches developed their prayer to the Holy Mother of God, centering it on the person of Christ manifested in his mystery. So a couple of things to reflect on there. First of all, this beautiful feminine aspect, right? Mary's unique cooperation with the working of the Holy Spirit. She did so, first of all, in uh, in a way that only a woman can. <laughs> right. You know, uh, you know, she they needed her body, her feminine body, in order to make the reality of the incarnation possible. You know, it's beautiful. You know, and, and it says unique in the sense. Well, well, pregnancy is not unique, right? But it's unique in the sense that she was a virgin and a mother. Right. You know that that beautiful cooperation with the femininity. So the understanding 
of our bodies as temples of the Holy Spirit. Literally, <laughs> her body was a, a temple uh, for, for uh, the Holy Spirit overshadowed her and she became literally filled with God. Yeah. You know, the word became incarnate in her. And then the second thing is that it's again, it says centering on the person of Christ. Right. So, so we don't want to get so lost in devotion to Mary that we forget that Marian devotion always points and directs us toward Jesus. Right. Her last words in the scriptures are do whatever he tells you. Right. So right. so everything that we do with regard to Mary always brings us into deeper relationship and intimacy with with Jesus Christ. I think that's the one of the things, of course, that our uh, evangelical brothers and sisters, that's a criticism that they'll often try to level at Catholics is, oh, you're so focused on Mary. But we remember that we are focused on Mary because she is in relation to Christ. And it's Christ is at the center, even in our very, you know, even in the prayer, the Hail Mary, the name of Jesus is at the heart of that prayer. You know, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. And so when we pray that, it's always in relation to Christ, to her son. She is truly the first disciple of Jesus as well. You know, she is the first one who said yes to Christ. She said yes to the angel to that the incarnation might take place. And so that's why we focus on Mary. And how does it take place? But the Holy Spirit overshadows her. Um, and it's through this prayer, you know, it's, I mean, I mentioned the Hail Mary. We pray it often as Catholics, but that also encapsulates uh, a teaching on the Holy Spirit as well. Uh, and so we learn a lot about the Holy Spirit through praying the Hail Mary prayer and through reflecting upon the act of the incarnation, the Annunciation itself. So maybe walk us through that, Deacon. Yes. Yeah, so, and what you said was so profound in a sense that that's how we can understand our cooperation as well. You know, that Mary was filled with the Holy Spirit and a baptism and confirmation, and we receive the Eucharist and all the sacraments, we receive the Holy Spirit as well in, in yeah. all of those. And so especially the Eucharist, right? We come, we become pregnant in a sense, right? Yeah. Uh, we, uh, just like Mary was, because we have literally Jesus within us and, and the two become one flesh, it says in Genesis. Uh, but with regard to Mary's unique cooperation, you know, if you look in uh, Luke's gospel, you know, the angel Gabriel comes to, to the Blessed Mother, this teenage girl um, who was a temple virgin. So, you know, Joachim and Anne were, were considered barren, uh, could not have children. And then by God's grace, they conceived Mary. And when Anna gave birth to her, they consecrated her to God. You know, and that's something that we see several times in the scriptures. Right. Samson. Mm -hmm. For example, and those they were they were when they were born because their mothers were not able to have kids, they were consecrated to God. Uh, same thing with uh, Hannah, right? Samuel's mom, same thing, consecrated him to God. And so we see the same thing here. And so when the angel comes to the Blessed Mother, he didn't say, "Hello, Mary, how are you today?" You know, he says, <laughs> "He says, Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with thee." In Greek, it's Kyrie Kachari Tomine. So Kyrie is a greeting for royalty. It means hail. So usually we give that greeting to like Caesar or to a king or a president or something like that. Uh, so that tells us that Gabriel recognizes her royalty, right? And we see this in Revelation chapter 12, verse 1 and following, 
where it says the woman with the crown of 12 stars around her head, clothed with the sun, the moon under her feet, who's pregnant. You know, that obviously that that's the Blessed Virgin Mary. And he, so he, he greets her with this royal greeting because she's right. Because remember, the mother of the king was the queen, right? Not the wife of the king, but the mother of the king. So he so Gabriel recognized this her queenship already in, in his uh, first words to her. Hail, full of grace. Kachari Tomine. So that, that's the perfect passive participle of the Greek word kairitu, which means to fill or endow with grace. So literally, he says, hail, uh, full of grace, but literally it can mean who has always been full of grace, hail, who has been perfectly and completely graced by God. You know, so literally that's what he's saying. So that means that if she is perfectly and completely graced by God or has always been full of grace, that means that there was no room for anything else, including sin in her life, right? Yeah. There's no room for sin at all in her life. So so that's where we get the foundational teaching uh, of the church on the immaculate conception of the Blessed Virgin Mary. It's interesting that uh, you took us through a little bit of grammar there, and you, you described that word, keceritomine, as the perfect passive participle of the verb. So perfect in that it's complete, passive in that it's something she received, and participle meaning the, the form of the verb. So this is not due to her own anything she did, but this is something that she received. And as you say, because it was the perfect passive participle, it is something that is already in place. It is complete. And so, and it just so happens that we use the word perfect to describe that verb, but it also describes Mary herself. She is perfect without sin, but it is a gift that she received. And of course, in the formal definition of the Immaculate Conception, it uh, the Holy Father Pius IX wrote that it is a singular grace granted to Mary to be preserved from the stain of original sin. So again, it's not something she did, but it is in virtue of and in view of the vocation that she had, that God had in mind for her in relation to the Holy Spirit and the Son and Jesus Christ. So this is something that Mary received as a gift, a foretaste of what we have received by being wiped clean of sin in baptism, except that she also had no um, inclination to sin either, which is part of the stain of original sin is this inclination, this uh, What's the word that St. Augustine uses? This culpability, uh, this um, desire for doing what is not right uh, is still part of us. Um, Mary didn't even have that because she was perfect, uh, preserved from sin in virtue of her relationship with the Holy Spirit. Right, exactly. And concupiscence is the word I was looking for. Not culpability, concupiscence. Concupiscence. (laughs) It had a C-U in it that didn't come to mind. So yeah, so we are concupiscent. We still have this this tendency towards sin. Mary was preserved from that as well as in virtue of her being free of original sin. So Yes, exactly. And what's also beautiful about Mary is the fact that she was a woman, right? I mean, I, 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 you've, I've said many, many times, women are the most beautiful creatures God has ever created. And I think the perfect example of what it means to be human, you know, because uh, women are created last, right? They, they're the mm-hmm. best of God's creative activity. And so women have this natural, physical ability to cooperate with the life-giving power of the Holy Spirit. 
And so that's why all of us need to really have awe, quite frankly, uh, for a woman's body, you know, um, because of how God created and designed it, you know. So that's why things like pornography and contraception are, are so sinful and detrimental to, to humanity because of what they do, the desecration to that to that woman's body, that beautiful temple of the Holy Spirit that's open to receiving life, you know, that's open to receiving God's love in a very powerful way, you know, to grow another person inside of you, or at least have the potential to, because of course, you know, we look at our beautiful nuns and and uh, her cloister and sisters who are working in the world, uh, who have given up the uh, physical motherhood, but are still spiritual mothers, and that physicality of their bodies. You know, they're still reminded every month that they're still <laughs> that their bodies are still capable of bringing forth children. Right. But that they, they they cooperate with that gift of the Holy Spirit in a way where they become the archetype of the church uh, in, in heaven. Right. Uh, so so that's why they wear the beautiful veils. They're the bride of Christ. It always reminds me when I see a nun of Revelation 19, verse nine. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast or wedding supper of the Lamb. You know, and so they they remind us of the heavenly reality that we're all hopefully will participate in at the end of our life. Uh, but it, but it's our cooperation with the Holy Spirit and recognizing the unique gift and power of the Holy Spirit working in a woman's body. Um, so the body is not to be used and abused and neglected and seen as an object, but it's to be reverenced and awed because of the potential uh, to to be able to conceive and bring forth life, which is, I mean, I think so. That's one of the most creative forces of the entire universe is motherhood. Well, it is if you, especially when you think about it, the child is a unique soul directly created by God that is um, unique and unrepeatable. Even identical twins are themselves unique. They are different people, you know, and they are created in that very moment of conception. Uh, and that's why, of course, we we seek to protect the most vulnerable among us, the child in the womb. Uh, and that's why it is also that's precisely why Satan wants to attack the child in the womb, because it represents the future. It represents hope. The child represents uh, life and love. Uh, and so, of course, that's where Satan is going to focus his energy. And that's why this is one of the greatest, you know, ongoing conversations. We talked about it last week. You know, the work that uh, I get to do here at the DeNicola Center on campus is, uh, especially over these this past year, has been focused on on the Dobbs case and now on Women and Children First initiative in promoting uh, and uh, support for women and children and families because that is where life is built and that is where not just you know that's where that's where the domestic church is this is where we encounter christ we encounter the love of the trinity in our family life uh and it it's women who are the the source of life and love uh and that great gift of receptivity which is uh which is the womb which is also the the feminine genius is this gift of receptivity to hear to um, ponder and to uh, then create life and 
love out of that, uh, the fruit of that that uh, receptivity. So I think it's a fa- uh, just a delightful um, kind of image, and I'm really glad that you've kind of brought our attention to it. The other thing that came to mind, and I don't know why I never once before thought of this. You, you mentioned uh, nuns and sisters who wear the veil as a sign of they they're being married to Christ the wedding the wedding garment of symbolizing the bride uh, the the bride of Christ how did i never put that together before that that's what a veil is that that's a, particularly what what the the nun's veil or the the wimple is is a, a reflection of the wedding garment i that's a, what a wonderful image yeah it's it's pretty awesome that's why i love seeing nuns i mean that's what that makes them so beautiful you know there's something about the uh, the outer garb, right? That speaks to a deeper reality. Yeah. Right. And we, we talked about this before. I mean, when kids see a fireman or a police officer or a physician, you know, and, and they wear these outer garments that speak to a deeper reality. So when I travel and I see a priest wearing clerics or a nun in a habit or a, a member of religious order in, in their, you know, in their, in their habit, you know, it's like, yes, what a powerful, beautiful symbol and witness you know, to the, to the truth of Christ. Yeah. You know, and, w- and one thing that I just want to also mention too, is, you know, this, um, this beautiful relationship with the Holy spirit in the, in the visitation, you know, Mary's encounter with, with Elizabeth. Now we know that um, Zachariah, uh, you know, was silenced because, you know, the, the Gabriel came to him when he was in the Holy of Holies and uh, he didn't, you know, trust in what God was doing. And so he was silenced, but I'm sure he was able to communicate to Elizabeth what was what was happening, what was going to happen. They were going to have intercourse and they were going to have they're going to conceive the, you know, the forerunner of the Christ. But what's interesting is, is when Mary comes. That Elizabeth, through her child, recognized that Mary was the mother of of Christ. I mean, how would she know? Right. I mean, it was like Mary sent an email. <laughs> and, and the scriptures don't record after after Gabriel went to the Blessed Mother, he then went to let Elizabeth know that Mary was going to be the mother. I mean, how how did she know? I mean, how would she know? It's it's when John is when Mary entered, right? And John the Baptist leapt in her womb that she becomes aware that she's in the presence of the mother of the living God. You know, and yeah. and that's that beautiful. The, these two pregnant women, right, right. Ha- are having this moment, this Holy Spirit moment, where 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 one child recognizes uh, the other child as as God. You know, it's just what I mean. That's something you can ponder in adoration, like all day, right? You know, just that beautiful simplicity of that encounter, and and how John the Baptist not only recognized. Mary as the monstrance, right? As the, the, the Ark of the Covenant. The tabernacle, um, really. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. The tabernacle is when also Mary spoke is when the greeting, because Elizabeth tells us when the greeting reached her ears, the child of my womb left. That means that he also recognized Jesus in the in the voice of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Yeah. You know, that, wow. That is just so profound and so beautiful. And we know that Children recognize their mother's voices, even when they're babies and they're born. They, when you know, they can, when mom starts, they turn, they know, they recognize that voice in the womb. 
they're able to distinguish the voice of, of their mother. It's just what a beautiful biological connection to a, to a very deep spiritual reality, you know, that, 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 that biological reflects. It's a, a beautiful image. The visitation is actually one of my favorite mysteries of the rosary when praying. Uh, and when I was blessed to take a pilgrimage to the Holy Land to go to Ein Karim, the uh, the town of Elizabeth and, and John the Baptist and, and Zechariah, his father, um, you know, just to know that this is the hill country in which Mary arose and went in haste to the hill country in order to visit her her cousin Elizabeth, um, just to know that this is where it happened. This is where the, you know, the mother of the Savior greeted Elizabeth and caused the child in Elizabeth's womb to leap for joy. An image, of course, that is a, a fulfillment of a type that we read about in the Old Testament as well. When David went to get the Ark of the Covenant to bring it back to the his city to Jerusalem, David went to the hill country where the Ark of the Covenant Covenant was being stored, and he leapt and danced for joy in the priestly garments before the, the Ark of the Covenant. So he, too, leapt before the Ark. Um, and Mary is the, the Ark of the New Covenant. This is a title that we, that we uh, associate with Mary. Um, Again, fulfilling a type, a type from the Old Testament, fulfilling an image uh, and echoing it in its fulfillment in the new as John the Baptist is doing what David did before the Ark of the Covenant, leaping for joy. Yeah, that's so awesome. And another little connection there, you know, um, the Ark was in the uh, house of Obedadam for three months, and then Mary was with Elizabeth for three months. Yeah. You know, so there's all the beautiful connection. And that word lept, by the way, is skirtao in Greek or dalag in Hebrew. Uh, and if you see it in Psalms or Job or Second Samuel, like at the, well, Second Samuel is what you were quoting just now. Um, it, it means like a mountain goat leaping. It's not just like a little kick, a little, I mean, it's like a, a very a hop. Um, hop like a, like yeah. a, a great leap yeah so john the baptist was like you know and i think that was adoration he was adoring the lord yeah you know present in the in the tabernacle of the, of the blessed virgin mary fantastic well deacon uh here we are waxing philosophic and and joyful about leaping and as it is we've leapt to the end of our time together so uh, we invite you to connect with us next week. Uh, tune back in. You can also download previous episodes of the show at materdeiradio.com. And you can also connect with us uh, in the meantime via Facebook. Just type in Living Stones Media in your old Facebook search bar and you'll connect with us. You can see a photo of Deacon Harold's head. Um, so, uh, <laughs> But until we gather next week, Deacon, might we have a blessing? May Almighty God bless you and keep you the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. We'll see you next week here on Living Stones. You've been listening to Living Stones with Ken Hellenius and Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. Living Stones is produced at the studios of Modern Day Radio in Portland, Oregon. For more information about this show, go to moderndayradio.com. That's M-A-T-E-R-D-E-I radio.com.